You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, babies. This is your boy, Uncle Jimmy. Welcome to this week's version of Whitlock's Firestarters. Hey, man, in case you missed it, this is where you tune into to find out what's been happening and see what you missed out on Jason's Firestarters on Fearless. Come on, y'all. Let's get right to it. <sighs> All right, man. Listen, on Monday's show, Jason decided he wanted to have a conversation that I personally wanted to have no parts of. But nonetheless, he did. Jason talks about the Patrick Mahomes collapse in the AFC championship game. And he also decides that he wants to talk about the real reason that he will never eclipse Tom Brady. Newsflash. I don't think he will either. On the weekend, ESPN reported the end of Tom Brady's football career. Patrick Mahomes reminded us while he'll never rival Tom Brady. Too much talent. An overabundance of talent undermines accomplishment. Talent is what separated Bill Russell from Wilt Chamberlain. It's what has foiled LeBron James's attempt to catch Michael Jordan. Like Wilt and LeBron, Mahomes is the featured attraction at the circus. He's the bearded lady, a once-in-a-lifetime talent you must see to believe. He is the most supremely talented quarterback we've ever seen. He can make every throw from any position, but the ultimate winner slash champion, that will never be Patrick Mahomes. The game is too easy for him. He will always battle bouts of boredom. He will lose focus. He will eschew the routine for the spectacular and lose games he otherwise shouldn't. It happened yesterday in the AFC Championship. Right before halftime, Mahomes and the Chiefs were at the threshold of salting away the Bengals. Leading 21 to 10, the Chiefs had second and goal at the one with five seconds to play. Mahomes inexplicably threw the ball to Tyreek Hill at the five. The Bengals tackled Hill short of the goal line. The clock expired. The Chiefs were outscored 17 to three the rest of the game. Kansas City lost at home to an inferior team that played an average game. You will hear some NFL experts argue that Cincinnati quarterback Joe Burrow won the game. He did not. He took what Patrick Mahomes gave him. Mahomes turned the game with a gift-wrapped third-quarter interception to a Cincy defensive lineman. In overtime, Mahomes tossed a second INT. Patrick Mahomes melted down. It reminded me of LeBron James in the 2011 NBA Finals against the Dallas Mavericks. LeBron mentally collapsed. The Heat lost the series in six games. Can you ever remember a moment when Brady or Michael Jordan mentally folded? It did not happen. It did not happen because Brady's and Jordan's mental approach to competition was always every bit as important as their physical gifts. There's a seemingly endless list of quarterbacks more physically gifted than Tom Brady. Mahomes, 
Dan Marino, John Elway, Roger Staubach, Steve Young, Aaron Rodgers, just to name a few. Brady won seven Super Bowls because of his superior mental outlook. Human beings do what they're forced to do. If Brady had more physical gifts, he would have paid less attention to the mental aspect of the game. In order to consistently win at the highest level, Brady adopted a lifestyle and mental approach that allowed him to outperform peers with more talent. Mahomes' peers do not have more talent than him. Therefore, his mental approach will never rival Brady's, at least not for another five to 10 years. There's a better chance of Mahomes putting together a career that rivals Aaron Rodgers than one that challenges Brady or Joe Montana. Okay, that's, that's not a very bold statement. Winning seven Super Bowls is virtually impossible. Only one quarterback has ever won more than four. My real point is Mahomes may not win another Super Bowl. When Rodgers won his first in 2011, we assumed he would have won one or two more by now. He hasn't. Russell Wilson won a Super Bowl in 2014. He's yet to win again. Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, and Lamar Jackson all play in the AFC. The conference is loaded with young, hungry, and talented quarterbacks. None of them are more talented than Mahomes, and that's their advantage. They will not make the kind of sloppy mistakes that haunted Mahomes yesterday and will haunt him over the next five to 10 years. Mahomes has too much talent to sweat all of the details. He's going to make mistakes that cost his team. On Tuesday's show, Jason talks about this whole Joe Rogan debacle. I don't know if you all are familiar with this, if you know what happened, but basically now they're coming at Joe Rogan because he made a comment I don't know, man. Something about Planet of the Apes and black people. Take a listen to this and see what you think. A journalist should be Joe Rogan's most passionate defenders. His massive podcast following is built on asking questions. Rogan is an interviewer, not an opinionist. He's Bob Lee, not Skip Bayless. Do we even remember Bob Lee, the longtime ESPN broadcaster? Lee joined the Sports Network three days after his 1979 launch and was its signature on-air journalist until 2019. Lee retired, ESPN abandoned his signature show, Outside the Lines, which was sports television's version of Nightline. Joe Rogan's success proves that journalism still makes good business sense. The presentation of information can still drive an audience. Information doesn't need to be dressed up with bombast and snark. Joe Rogan should be a hero. Instead, he's being turned into a pariah. His three-hour interviews with doctors who question the prevailing COVID narratives are being framed as an existential threat to our democracy and health. Rogan's interviews are so dangerous that Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times reporter Nicole Hannah-Jones accused Rogan of being racist. In a since-deleted tweet, Hannah-Jones alleged that Rogan's popularity is due to America's comfort with racism. Hannah-Jones shared a compilation video of Rogan using the N-word. There's no context to the video. We don't know how Rogan used the word. For some people, context does not matter. Rogan is white, he used the N-word. He's racist. 
I've watched Rogan's interviews with Dr. Robert Malone and Dr. Peter McCullough. Malone and McCullough offered COVID opinions that contradict the official government-approved narrative. I've seen a half dozen other Rogan interviews. His interviews don't strike me as particularly dangerous. I've heard nothing racist from Rogan. He's a comedian who likes to use drugs. It wouldn't surprise me if he's cracked jokes that could be deemed bigoted. In pursuit of laughs, comedians push the envelope. From Dave Chappelle to Red Fox to Andrew Dice Clay to Paul Mooney, comedians use racial stereotypes to make audiences laugh. Now we're using accusations of racism to silence people who ask the wrong questions or interview the wrong people. Nicole Hannah-Jones, the New York Times, Big Pharma, and Big Tech are determined to smear Joe Rogan with the same brush that smeared Alex Jones and Donald Trump. Most people believe Jones and Trump deserve to be smeared and deplatformed. The same is true of black nationalist Louis Farrakhan. But where does the censorship stop? Joe Rogan is a bigot? Is Bill Maher next? Dave Chappelle, he's transphobic. When they're done deplatforming and demonizing comedians, Christian ministers will be next. It's already happening. Ministers are afraid to preach biblical truth. Their goal now is to be inclusive. In a healthy, free society, journalists, comedians, and ministers should feel liberated to explore and discuss uncomfortable truths. Newspapers, comedic stages, and pulpits were sacred grounds for truth-telling. Journalists, comedians, and ministers are supposed to set the boundaries for truthful debate. Big Tech is a very poor substitute. On Wednesday, Jason goes unscripted. He goes straight off the top of the head. He throws out a mono on about the lawsuit filed by former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores. And he filed this lawsuit against the NFL, the Miami Dolphins, the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos, Bill Belichick, John Madden, Joe Delaney, Derek Thomas, H&R Block, Fat Albert. Many of you are going to get upset with me for being this transparent and this honest, but it's just a fact. I keep talking about there's a profile of the black guys who love to go full-blown Malcolm X. None of the guys that love to go full-blown Malcolm X, they never love to go full-blown Betty Shabazz. They love to go Becky Shabazz. And Brian Flores fits the profile. That sounds like a vicious personal shot. It's not. It's just a fact that needs to be addressed and covered and for people to understand. I don't have a problem with Brian Flores and his wife and his white wife. I got zero problem with it. Anybody that knows me knows I have zero problems with it. I'm not some sort of a hypocrite. But what I'm, I'm also not is ashamed of any damn thing, any decision I've made. I have not, I have dated white women. I've spent no time trying to prove to everybody else how black I am despite dating a white woman. These guys 
spend every moment of their life after marrying a white woman trying to prove how black they are. And so these are just facts. Brian Flores went out and recruited and hired and married a head coach for his family. And he made the same damn decision that he says these NFL owners keep making. When it came time for his head coach, he didn't choose a black head coach. He chose a white one. And that's part of the reason why he's now suing the NFL and now portraying himself as Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass, all this other crap. These guys need to sit on a therapist's couch, talk to their mama, talk to their daddy, talk to their wives about whatever hangups they have about the decisions they've made in their personal life and quit trying to work them out on NFL football fields. This is Colin Kaepernick 2.0 2AT. Cause Colin Kaepernick, he ain't got Betty Shabazz either. Ness Nitty, that's not a black woman. And Colin Kaepernick, raised by them white folks, has spent his adult life trying to prove he's Malcolm X, and that's why he started taking a knee when he lost his job in San Francisco. But there is a profile of all these guys. Brian Flores fits the profile. Sounds like I'm taking a massive dump on Brian Flores. I'm not. I'm just putting all the facts out on the table. When I saw this man on CBS uh, this morning, the, the Today Show, or what, I, what is it called? CBS? Good morning. good morning. Yeah, good morning. Flanked by his two white lawyers. Again, I just kept going, Malcolm X, where's Elijah Muhammad? Where's Louis Farrakhan? No, it's two white lawyers sitting next to him, got him gassed up. Oh, the NFL is so racist. And oh my God, they made me go through a sham interview. And oh, this is just like a plantation, the NFL. Why is this man not sitting next to Elijah Muhammad when he's saying this? Why doesn't he have Betty Shabazz at home? There's a profile that these guys fit. Everything about them is smothered in whiteness. But oh my God, it's just so racist out here. And I can't get an opportunity. And Stephen Ross offered me $100,000 to lose games because he's so racist. That's why I married Becky Shabazz and hired her daddy and brother to represent me from their law firm to sue these racist white people that I s surround myself with every chance I get. I'm so sick and tired 
of the love, the fruit, hate the tree opportunist. That's what's going on with Brian Flores. And I'm just scratching the surface there. I'll circle back on that. But I, I want to get to my biggest issue with all of this that's not being discussed. No one cares about Brian Flores. No one believes Brian Flores has faced any sort of real discrimination. He's, he's just the latest useful idiot that the left has got their hooks in and got him out here as Colin Kaepernick 2.0 because he fits the profile and they knew he would be silly enough to go for this BS. But the real agenda here is nothing to do with Brian Flores or coaching opportunities for black coaches. This is about ownership. This is about trying to unseat Stephen Ross, trying to make the Bolin family in Denver sell the team to black ownership. That's what this is all about. Let's start <clears throat> with ESPN's Lewis Riddick, some of his comments from yesterday or today. Let's start there. How do we get owners to arrive at the conclusion that Someone like myself, someone like Brian Flores, someone like Todd Bowles, someone like Leslie Frazier, someone like Eric Bieniemy, aren't just box checkers. Right. That they are judged on a fair and equal and level playing field, and ultimately they secure these jobs. That that's what, you know, that's what I'm, I'm sure Brian Flores is ultimately extremely, extremely frustrated about. Just as many of the black uh, head coach candidates are right now, many of the black general manager candidates are. And I myself have been, you know, throughout my career. How do we really, how do we get it to the point where we aren't just getting FaceTime with owners and chief decision makers, but we're securing the jobs because we were the best qualified candidate, not because someone felt sorry for us, not because someone felt as though, well, we need to step up to the plate now and do something because we know that the representation is not where it needs to be, but because we were the ones who were most qualified and capable of leading your franchise. And right now, as the league is presently compromised, I don't know if it's set up to where we can get to where we want to get to unless some things change at the ownership level in a meaningful and significant way. There you go. All of this stuff we got going on with Brian Flores is so that Lewis Riddick and others can argue, well, you got to have a black owner to fix this. That's what this is, entire thing is about. Stephen A., Stephen A. Smith chimed in and starts, he's going after Stephen Ross's job. That's what this is about. Play the Stephen A. clip. The most damning thing that was said that I peeled from this lawsuit is Stephen Ross, the owner for the Miami Dolphins, the guy that has this organization. I want to make sure I look it up. Just remember, the Ross Initiative in Sports for Equality. Okay, this is what Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, has created. He's contributed millions upon millions of dollars to the cause on behalf of African-Americans and behind and you hired Brian Flores. You have a black GM in Chris Greer. And that is the guy that is being accused in a lawsuit of going up to Brian Flores and encouraging him to throw 
games, to lose games on purpose, and even offering him $100,000 for every game that he lost, if that is found to be true, Stephen Ross can no longer be an owner for an NFL franchise. He's got to go. If that is true, and only if that is true, he's got to go. You talking about compromising the integrity of competition? He would be in flagrant violation of that. There would be no excuse to keep him on as an owner. And oh, by the way, it would open up an avenue that Brian Flores clearly is interested in broaching. And that's in getting minority ownership, meaning black ownership in the NFL. There's plenty of owners that don't own the team by themselves. They got a group. They're all putting their money. And there's enough black folks around that want to have an ownership stake in an NFL franchise. And one of the ways to make that happen is Stephen Ross being gone. I'm not encouraging him to be gone, Keyshawn, if this isn't true. But if this is true, Stephen Ross has got to go. He cannot stay on as owner of a National Football League team. This is all orchestrated. Everybody's moving in concert. This is all a scam. And so I, Stephen A. Smith is sitting here. Oh my God. Did they potentially tank games in the with the Miami Dolphins? The Stephen A.'s job and claim to fame is covering the NBA. They had a thing in Philadelphia called the process. They've been tanking games in the NBA for decades, for years. Has Stephen A called for any NBA owner to be run out of the league for tanking games? Has this not been commonplace in the NBA for years? But Stephen A. doesn't pipe up until it's the NFL. And now a group of black people must be allowed to pool their resources and buy an NFL team. That's what this whole thing is about. They don't care about Brian Flores. They don't care about Eric Bieniemy. They don't care about any of these, this is just an excuse to get on TV and beat your chest and pretend like you're some social justice champion out fighting for the liberty and freedom of black people. It's a joke. This is a group of elites trying to run out another group of elites so that their group of elites can own an NFL franchise so that the NFL can start to operate more politically in line like the NBA. And the NFL's already halfway down or they're down the woke path, they're down the left path. They they rebranded Black Lives Matter into Inspire Change but they're not done and they're never going to be done. And this is why the weak leadership of the NFL, 
You want to talk about Stephen Ross needs to be fired. The people that need to be fired are Roger Goodell and Troy Vincent. The commissioner of the NFL, Roger Goodell, is weak, a poor leader. Troy Vincent, the top black executive at the NFL that has quarterbacked most of this BS, the, the enhanced Rooney rules and all the other stuff that now is being thrown up as an example of, well, this is racist. These sham interviews that Troy Vincent and the NFL have insisted upon for years. Stephen Ross didn't come up with these rules. He didn't, this, the, the whole little sham interview thing, we're acting like there have been no white coaches that have ever been on a sham interview where somebody else was getting the job, but they still interview. That's, this only happens to uh, Brian Flores and black coaches. And if it is the case, blame the people who set up the rules. Troy Vincent. This meant, what, what, what rule did they come up with a year ago where you got little extra draft picks if you hired a, a black head coach or a black GM? And Lewis Riddick is talking about, we don't want jobs out of pity and out of sympathy. We want it because we earned them. But the rules that Troy Vincent and the NFL keep setting up keep making it a pity party for black coaches. Pity seems to be your only currency. Any outcome that doesn't meet our little whatever alleged racial narrative is all my, it, it, it can only be explained by racism. If Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a job, it can only be explained by racism. There's no way possible he could just be a horrendous interview. Couldn't be that. Couldn't be that he's basically uh, a puppet for Andy Reid. Nah, couldn't be that. Eric Bieniemy is a former running back. He's drawn up some of the greatest plays in the history of the NFL. There's no profile for that. Anybody that knows football knows running backs don't make great head coaches. There's been one, Dan Reeves, who most people blame for ruining the first 10 years of John Elway's career. We are having the most unsophisticated, stupid conversation about black NFL head coaches. It's been going on for 20 years now. The reason why things aren't getting any better is because at no point have we ever addressed the real truth. That you're only, the people that come through the entry door, which generally speaking for football coaches, it's a GA job at a college, graduate assistant job that pays virtually no money. 
And so if that, at that entry point of a graduate assistant at the college level, if let's say a thousand people line up to get the graduate assistant job, and of that thousand that lined up to get that GA job, if 950 of them are white guys, let's don't act shocked that 10 years later, 95% of the guys getting head coaching jobs in college or the NFL level, uh, if 95% of them are white guys. That's who started the race. And I've been talking about this for years as it relates, a general, uh, a graduate assistant job is for no money. And so, and I'm talking about my friends, what I experienced amongst my, a lot of black dudes that I went to college with couldn't take certain entry level jobs because they had baby mamas. I was able to take a job out of college for $5 an hour because I had no responsibilities. I could live in a one room efficiency and make virtually no money because I didn't have responsibilities. I didn't have a baby. Too many former players go check. It's statistically proven. Too many of these former college athletes, particularly black ones, illegitimate kids started at 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. That's just a fact. Having helped some young people early in their post-college life, I'm talking about black kids, having provided them the help to try to start out as college coaches, offering them financial support. I've been through this process of trying to help people enter the coaching ranks and trying to overcome the mistakes they make early in their life that limits their ability to rise and make all the same sacrifices that coaches make early in their career. But we're not having an honest conversation about any of this. Eric Bieniemy, problems at the University of Colorado with women dating back to the 90s. If, if a white coach had his rap sheet, nobody would be talking about him as a potential head coach anywhere. They'd be talking about, hey, how come we haven't Me too this guy? This whole thing is dishonest. And it's all a scam to try to install some black person as an owner of an NFL franchise. I don't feel sorry for the NFL. They have kept Roger Goodell in place. They have allowed Troy Vincent to be their race leader and they have created a mess. And this whole lawsuit that Brian Flores has put together, it reads like someone's Twitter feed, but it, it, it's not a legitimate lawsuit. It's only there to try to embarrass the NFL and try to embarrass them into, oh God, 
uh, the Denver Broncos are for sale. Let's sell them to a black owner. That'll fix our PR, our PR nightmare. Oh, let's remove Stephen Ross as the owner and, and let's let a group of, because they already got a bunch of black celebrities a part of Stephen Ross's group. Let's just throw a few more in and Jay-Z will own uh, the Miami Dolphins and man, won't things be so much better? Oh, it's just gonna trickle down. Once Jay-Z's an owner, Oh, the NFL's really gonna take off. I mean, this year, look, we've already got Dr. Dre, Snoop, Eminem, and Kendrick Lamar. I mean, with Jay-Z as an owner, who's next? Maybe Tupac will come out of his grave. And we could get Biggie out of his grave. Be unbelievable. Biggie and Tupac performing at next year's Super Bowl. Black people will finally be free. Once Biggie and Pac are performing at the Super Bowl, and people are just saying <laughs> all over national TV, oh, God, free at last. This is what Dr. King was dreaming about. Rappers, rapping at halftime of the Super Bowl. And then every team during practice can play rap music with everybody screaming. Free at last, free at last. Brian Flores is taking us to the promised land. On Thursday's show, whoo, sweet black baby Jesus. Jason believes that the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, cared more about Brian Flores' success than Brian Flores did. What the what? Take a listen. Black NFL players have made it quite clear they want to inspire change on behalf of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Jacob Blake, Rayshard Brooks, and other high-profile victims of alleged white criminal misconduct. Black football players enthusiastically appointed themselves experts on criminal justice reform, systemic racism, housing discrimination, and pay inequality. During televised commercial breaks, current NFL players preach about where they're from, and how people who look like them are over-policed, over-incarcerated, and will earn $10,000 less than their white counterparts. You've seen the commercials. That's why I expect the next batch of Inspire Change commercials to feature former Dolphins coach, Brian Flores. Surely the courageous freedom fighters speaking on behalf of George Floyd will lift their voices in support of Brian Harriet Tubman Flores. As qualified as football players are to speak on local policing issues, it pales into comparison to what they know about football, coaching football. As the New York Times, ESPN, and Flores' white attorneys have repeatedly pointed out, 70% of NFL players are black. These black players are eyewitnesses to the racism endured by Flores and countless black assistant coaches. If they're willing to take a knee for George Floyd, I'm sure black Dolphins players would be more than happy to support Brian Flores' lawsuit. And this is my problem with the Brian Flores controversy and the repeated allegations that NFL owners refuse to hire black head coaches. NFL owners will do pretty much anything the players demand they do. 
Cowboys owner Jerry Jones took a knee during the national anthem because the players demanded he do so. Jones's billionaire peers across the league did the same thing. The players control the league. The players forced the owners to hand over nearly $100 million to finance the Players Coalition, a vanity project for current and former players to build social media brands as social justice warriors. If NFL players wanted more black head coaches, more black offensive coordinators, they would demand it and it would happen overnight. Players create the hype and buzz around assistant coaches. When a talented and charismatic assistant coach reveals himself on a staff, it's the players who start gossiping about his impact, his ability to connect, and his relentless work ethic. Brian Flores doesn't need a lawsuit to get a head coaching job. He needs the support of black NFL players. The same is true for Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy. But black people, we've been taught to prefer the charity of white people over the support of our own. This preference for charity played a role in Flores getting fired. Dolphins owner Stephen Ross figured out Flores isn't ruthless enough to win at the highest level. If you believe Flores' narrative, Ross tried to forge an alliance between Flores and an established NFL quarterback. Multiple outlets have reported the established quarterback was Tom Brady. Ross is a Michigan grad and one of the school's top boosters. Ross has known Brady for years. Flores refused the meeting because it would violate the NFL's tampering policy. Flores' refusal violated common sense. Flores reportedly did not like Miami quarterback Tua Tungviola. Ross was offering Flores a solution, a path to a proven franchise quarterback, the GOAT. Ross was trying to put his head coach in position to win immediately. That wasn't racism. Ross was bending the rules to favor his black head coach, proving again that no good deed goes unpunished. On Friday's show, hey man, I gotta give the big guy credit. Jason laid down the fire starter of all fire starters. Jason brought this Brian Flores thing all the way back home. Jason said that the Brian Flores situation is only gonna hurt black coaches in the NFL. It's not gonna help them. And I hate to admit it, but bro broke that down and he's got some points. Check it out. All right, let's, let's ask the obvious question as it relates to Brian Flores' discrimination lawsuit against the NFL, the New York Giants, Denver Broncos, and Miami Dolphins. Here's, here's the obvious question. Has Flores damaged the job prospects and work relationships of his black coaching peers? Ponder that for a second. Has he damaged the job prospects and work relationships of his black coaching peers. No doubt, Brian Flores is a hero to Nate Burleson, Mike Greenberg, Stephen A. Smith, L. Duncan, Ryan Clark, Shannon Sharp, and countless other blue check sports media figures whose job is to goad and then celebrate emotional and non-strategic behavior from black men. Flores, is following in the footsteps of Colin Kaepernick, George Floyd, and Jacob Blake. 
he's acting as an emotional trigger, a justification for chaos, animus, and protest. On Thursday, former NBA star Chris Bosh vowed to quit watching NFL games until the league hires more black coaches and general managers. But will they? I mean, have we thought about that? Will they hire more based off the behavior of Brian Flores? Dolphins owner Steven Rouse ran the blackest organization in the NFL. At one time, his head coach, general manager, assistant general manager, defensive coordinator, and several members of his celebrity ownership group, they were all black. What, what, what was the reward for running the blackest organization in the National Football League? For doing everything the black elite told Stephen Ross to do. What is his reward? Brian Flores' accusations against Ross could get Ross removed from the NFL ownership. Flores claims Ross offered him money to lose games in 2019 and that Ross tried to arrange an illegal meeting with a veteran quarterback under contract to another team. Brian Flores is a snitch. He snitched on the owner who followed the social justice Black Lives Matter playbook to a T. Flores also seemingly betrayed the mentor, Bill Belichick, who put him in position to rise to head coach. Belichick's accidental text messages seemed to be the foundation for Flores' claim that the Giants treated him in a discriminatory fashion. Flores worked for one organization, the Patriots, before landing the head job with the Dolphins. In 2004, he landed a job as a scouting assistant with New England. He spent 15 years working for Bill Belichick. Flores' lawsuit could potentially force investigators to seek access to Belichick's cell phone records. Brian Flores' sense of entitlement to an NFL head coaching job has taken precedence over any sense of gratitude and loyalty toward the people who helped him land the Dolphins job, Belichick and Ross. They were part of the solution for Flores until the moment Flores decided they were part of the problem. Uh, Brian Flores was on NPR, I believe today or yesterday, and he just backed a bus up over Bill Belichick. Take a listen for yourself. What cemented your decision? You say you were back and forth. Mm -hmm. What got you over that hump? Um, well, it was a text message uh, from, from Bill Belichick um, that con con confirmed a lot of the things that, um, you know, I believed were going on um, for, you know, blacks, minorities um, in the hiring process that um, interviews that blacks and minorities were going on were, um, you know, we weren't getting a true opportunity in those interviews uh, to showcase our abilities, you know, and me personally to showcase my abilities. Um, so to walk into a, a, an interview where, um, a decision's already been made. Um, you know, 
that that was that's what that was the tipping point for me. It's interesting that Bill will be in the know mm -hmm. to that degree. Why do you think that is? Again, I think I do think that there are uh, back channel conversations, back channel meetings um, that are had that that oftentimes influence decisions. And I think that's a clear <laughs> example of that. Um, you know, here's Bill Belichick and, you know, his his resume speaks for itself. He has influence. Um, uh, so I think to me that, that it was clear that that decision was was made um, with 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 his influence. And that's part of the that's part of the problem. Um, and that's that's that needs to change. Um, there needs to be a, a fair and equal opportunity um, to interview and, um, and 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 showcase, like I said before, showcase your abilities to lead and um, earn one of those positions. Brian Flores is not very smart. This man, this man just said, Bill Belichick's part of the problem, his influence, and that needs to stop. As if Bill Belichick's influence didn't play a role in him getting the Miami Dolphins head coaching job. And so now he's sitting here bitter because he's saying Bill Belichick didn't do enough to get him his second job. Bill Belichick, and again, I don't know, I don't think he had the work experience with Brian Dabo that he does with uh, uh, Brian Flores. But basically, Brian Flores just went on an interview with Jay Williams on NPR and said, Bill Belichick didn't use his influence to help me. He used it to help Brian Dabo as it relates to the New York Giants. Screw Bill Belichick. He shouldn't have influence. That's the problem. Unless people use their influence to help me, that's the problem. This guy, my favorite TV show, The Wire. My favorite character, Omar Little, most people's favorite character on there. He had a statement about a man's gotta have a code. Brian Flores has no code and neither do the people championing Brian Flores. This is some of the most despicable, reprehensible, disloyal shit I have ever seen. Again, I guess y'all, well, he only owes loyalty and respect to black people. He's black and so he only owes loyalty and appreciation and gratitude to other black people. Bill Belichick, they put him on the map the only coach, the only organization he ever worked for that helped him get the Miami Dolphins job, he owes him nothing. Stephen Ross, who gave him the job, who put together the blackest organization we've ever seen in the NFL. Nah, I don't owe him a damn thing either. I'm not swallowing any of this. And all the little idiots over at ESPN and all across corporate media taking a dump on Stephen Ross and everybody's champion. Hey, we gotta get Stephen Ross out of here. 
He did everything that we say we want white ownership to do. But damn it, Brian Flores says he's mad at him now. Let's run him up out of here. We got to fire Stephen Ross. That'll fix it. That'll make things better. This man <clears throat> and these idiots at ESPN are putting a clown suit on black men and black coaches. They're screaming to front and center, we have no code. We're loyal to nothing or no one. We only serve our own interest. We will back this bus up over any and everybody. <clears throat> and y'all think black coaches are going to benefit from this buffoonery, this disloyalty? Y'all think white owners, white coaches like, woo boy. Damned if I do, damned if I don't. So why, why would I? These guys can hire and fire white coaches at the drop of a hat, and no one's ever gonna accuse them of being a racist. The Jacksonville Jaguars just hired Doug Peterson. They can fire him tomorrow. And Doug Peterson ain't gonna call him racist. He gonna take that money and look for his next opportunity. We have no code. We stand for nothing. This is embarrassing. This man is making a fool out of black coaches. He's not putting anybody in position to get a job. You think you don't have to swallow some shit in this life? I've talked about it endlessly. I did not like the way things went down with me and ESPN the last time I was there. Not at all. And there was white and black people participating in my sabotage. And you know, they were trying to gold me into melting down and going off on everybody. The guy's name was John Kozner that was trying to gold me into melting down so that the undefeated project would never get off the ground. It's a bunch of unfair stuff that went on, but I'm not blowing it up. I don't even care if most of the people over at the undefeated are cowards and don't have the brains enough to be thankful that I laid a foundation that benefits them to this day. I, I, I honestly do not care because the project was always bigger than me. And so I watched Bill Simmons burn down the Grantland thing on his way out the door and make it so that Grantland was going to dece be deceased when he left. He burned that to the ground to pleasure himself. I wasn't gonna do it because I wanted those people, even if I don't agree with them, even if I don't think their work is that great, I wanted them to have the opportunity it was bigger than me.
Brian Flores is acting like he's the biggest, baddest, most important. He's Harriet Tubman. He's Frederick Douglass. He's Martin Luther King. If he don't have a job, nobody can. <clears throat> he's acted and behaved in the most selfish, entitled, ungrateful, disrespectful. I have no respect for any of it. And if we had a brain, if some of these other people on ESPN or Fox Sports, or any of these black people that think they're champions for black people, if they had a brain, they would be calling this idiot out. He's no different than Colin Kaepernick. All that whining and crying Colin Kaepernick did and taking a knee and the national anthem and all, it led to nothing. Didn't help black people. It helped a bunch of elite football players bilk the NFL out of $100 million so they could, uh, uh, we got the Players Coalition and we put out commercials uh, complaining about racism. These people ain't interested in black people. They're not interested in black progress. They're interested in whatever serves them. Oh, what can I get out of it? Can Anquan Bolden be the face of the Players Coalition? and run around and beat his chest. He ain't doing no work for nobody, not for real. He ain't doing nothing that's helping black people other than some elites. And that's all who's getting helped here. You got all these clowns on TV that love Brian Flores and what he's doing because it serves them. It gives them something to talk about. They, ESPN rolled out this clown, Angela Rye. Do we have that clip? They roll out this clown, Angela Rye, from CNN and throw her on TV like she's some type of sports expert. This ain't got nothing to do with black coaches. Why are y'all getting played and used by a group of idiots who don't give a damn about any of you, don't know anything about you, don't know what it takes to coach in the NFL? They're using you. Play the clip of Angela Rye. How will this lawsuit impact black coaches? Well, I want to start with how it will impact the whole of America, not even just black America. The fact sure. that this lawsuit was filed on the first day of Black History Month and um, the fact that he went ahead courageously and said, I'm going to speak up for me uh, this morning when he was on air. He talked about speaking up for his kids. Um, this was a courageous lawsuit where he calls on the ancestors in point one of the complaint. He talks about Martin Luther King. There's a quote from Martin Luther King at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, Frederick Douglass, Jack. Robinson and Mamie Till, and we all know the historic nature of this year um, for Jackie Robinson. The fact that the NFL is struggling to integrate everywhere else besides on stages during the halftime show, and if you're not running the ball down the field, that is highly problematic. We're in 2022 where we've broken all types of barriers in this country, and we are talking about a rule that has failed to fulfill the needs of black coaches coordinators, executives, GMs, it's failing. And at some point they have to decide whether they're gonna um, continue to engage in window dressing mm -hmm. or if they're going to ensure that this rule actually has real Turn my mic on, cut her off. I, I can't take any more of Angela Rye. Just running off at the mouth. I keep telling y'all about the African-American hookup. Angela Rye, Another one of the mulatto. Uh, I, I'm, ESPN right now is running what I call the uh, 
ESPN, AKA Sorority. Angela Rye, Malika Andrews. Uh, what, what's the other one? There's another one of the, the uh, L. Duncan. The Brigade of Light-Skinned Black Women. The AKA Ski Wee. Do y'all, some of y'all, y'all don't know Ski Wee, AKA the sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha. You had to be half white to be an AKA back in the day, and it still goes on to this day. It's the, it's the super light-skinned African-American uh, sorority. Somebody over at ESPN, one of these executives, they don't like Deltas, they don't like uh, Zeta Phi Betas, they like uh, the Red Bones. If you put Stephen A, Dave Roberts, I don't know who it is over there, they've, they've uh, they've moved away from the Kari Champions and the Maria Taylors and every African-American woman uh, that was a former member of the AKA or is a member of the AKA or can say ski week, somebody over there got a little taste for them and they're getting all the jobs over at ESPN. Doesn't matter if they know a damn thing about sports. What, what does Angela Rye know about the NFL? Has she, maybe she's dated some NFL players? She ain't even had to go through the little fake BS that Mina Kimes had to go through to get her NFL hookup. She had to write a couple of articles. But now Angela Rye is sitting on ESPN across from Stephen A with Stephen A batting his eyes. Mmm, looking like honey. This, this, these guys have no code. They're just running wild. This whole thing is a joke. And that's who, Brian Flores, if he had any type of code, any type of comment, he, well, we know how Brian Flores gets down. Angela Rye ain't quite light-skinned enough for him, so maybe she has no interest for him. But he, he should be embarrassed that that's who's out here championing, running their mouth for him. Somebody that don't know a damn thing about the NFL, they put some talking points in front of her and just, just say racism, Angela, and look pretty on camera. And Stephen A, don't she look good? They high five it off, <laughs> yeah, we rolling these AKAs right on in here to ESPN. You Deltas getting the back of the line. Y'all a little too dark for what we got going on these days. The Kari Champion Maria Taylor era is over. We want some cream in this coffee. As I said, man, this is that guy, man, Uncle Jimmy. Hey, man, the guy that loves you like a play cousin. Do me a favor, man. Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the likes. Hit the subscribes. Join the Fearless Army. Get the Fearless Army swag. Put some swag in your bag. Hey, I promise you when you do it, it'll be the best time you had. Hey, man, this is Uncle Jimmy coming to you. Remember this. This is the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs.